During the Christmas season, we're going to think about the gift of rest. We're going to look at the giver and the gift and the exchange. But this morning, we're going to look at the receiver. Uh, verse is a unique one. It comes from Matthew 11, and it's the only verse that I'm familiar with where Jesus says, he talks about himself, and then he says, I am, and then he puts an adjective in. There's a lot of times Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and I am the truth, and I am the life. But this is the only place that I'm aware of where Jesus says, I am, and then he fills it in with an adjective. He tells us how Jesus thinks and how Jesus feels. We get an opportunity to understand what Jesus is like at the emotion level, at the feeling level. Um, but it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For, here it is, I am gentle. humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus tells us a lot. We'll look at these over the next couple of weeks and really try to break it down, try to figure out what does this mean that he's humble and gentle in heart. This morning, let's think about who it is that he calls to connect with. He says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Those who receive the gift of rest, then, Jesus defines as those who were weary and burdened. Not those cruising along spiritually, barely breaking a sweat. And there, might, there were those in that time who probably felt that way. They were really succeeding. And Jesus looked past them. He looked past the ones that were succeeding, past the ones who felt really good about their spirituality, felt like they were doing everything they needed to do. He looked past them. To those who weren't as confident, they weren't as secure and satisfied. They had areas of their life that they weren't in control of. They were aware of the standard and were not they were not accomplishing the things that they wanted to accomplish, and it would surprise them. Those are the ones Jesus locked eyes with. He says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What is burden? You think of it. The word is burden is a load born to the point of exhaustion. That's what a burden is. That's the image. Picture somebody with a load. And the load had been born for a while, and the person's exhausted. That's the image. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Some of us, when we come in, and either when we've been shopping or somebody went shopping for us, and we bring in the groceries, the, the greatest invention that has ever existed, as far as I'm concerned, is when they went from the paper bag to the plastic. The reason is you can drape plastic bags all the way down your arm. So you can, and again, God forbid that you'd make two spots. Is there anybody here like me? God forbid that you'd make two trips. And so you have to put them in. So it's, you're pulling one of these things, right? And then you have to get through the door. And, and then, you, then the hardest thing is getting them up on the counter. 
You know, it was one thing to get them on your arms, but then you can't, so then you have to kind of go like this. So that's a burden. And But what is this burden that Jesus is talking about? What causes it? And Jesus gives an answer. Uh, this is what he says. Jesus said to the crowd and, to, and said to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. When it says they sat in Moses' seat, it was a position of authority. It's, it's literally ex cathedra. And so, like, I was raised Roman Catholic. And when the Pope sits in his chair as vicar of the church and he makes a proclamation, it's binding. He, he speaks from a point of authority. And so when the Pharisees sat in Moses' seat, they were representatives of the covenant that Moses inaugurated on God's behalf. And so they were speaking and, and their words had weight. So what uh, he says, they sat in Moses' seat. Um, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. What's Jesus' issue with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? He said that they sit in Moses' seat, they put heavy burdens on people, but they aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Uh, we can say, can't we, that the burden then that Jesus envisioned was a spiritual one. It wasn't groceries. It wasn't work obligations. It was the weight of spiritual obligations that they were not fulfilling. That's the burden. Um, and the burden came from what they taught. When the Pharisees sat in Moses' seat, they ended up basically saying there are 10 commandments, and past that, there are 613 things you needed to do as part of being a faithful Old Covenant obeyer. Now, it wasn't just 10 things. It was like 613 of them. And this constituted the spiritual equivalent, if you think me with these bags on my arm, the spiritual equivalent of that. Very heavy, very burdensome. When Jesus talks to the Pharisees, he said they put a heavy load on people. But that's not Jesus' issue, because here's the deal. The Mosaic law, the Old Covenant, was really heavy. You had to control not only your behavior, but your desires. Do not covet meant do not want things that your neighbor has. Don't want your neighbor's wife. Don't want your neighbor's life. It's one thing to control your behavior. It's another thing completely to control your thoughts and feelings. That's what the Mosaic Law demanded. And there were people that maybe didn't know that, and they figured, no, nah, it's not that bad. Jesus knew what the law was like and how heavy it really was. Jesus' issue wasn't with the law because the law wasn't intended to stay forever. In fact, Jesus came to change the law. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Jesus' issue was they put the law on people's shoulders, but weren't even willing to lift a finger. It's like if you saw me going in with these things draped and, and you didn't even do anything to help. That's what Jesus' issue was with the spiritual leaders of the time. They put these obligations on people and didn't help them. So what you had is people in a spiritual basis that were crushed with the load of obligations that they knew they could never fulfill. And the Pharisees 
they seemed to feel like they were doing pretty well fulfilling it. Jesus looked past the ones that were doing admirably, and he looked at the ones who were bending under the load, and he says, you're the one I'm coming for. You who are weary and burdened, you know the obligations and know how difficult it is to fulfill them. You're the one I come for. That's those were the receivers. Um, the law is heavy, and, and it's heavy because, it again, it demands not that you control your conduct. Controlling conduct is one thing. Would you agree with me? Controlling your desires is another. You can change what you do. It's much more difficult to change what you think. Now, I might not know what you think. You only know what you think but you know what you think. And maybe you don't tell other people about the thoughts that you have, thoughts that you don't like having. You try to change the thoughts, and you can't about the person, about that law, about the thing. And you want to change the way you think. You want to change the way you feel, but it's very, 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 well, difficult, impossible to truly change thoughts and feelings. But Jesus says about the law, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. Or I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. You know, again, you know what covet means? To desire something. It's to travel down Western Avenue, it would be kind of nice to live in those houses, you know, the, the lighty-up houses on Western Avenue. It's really sweet, you know, when you come up that thing and there's, you know, there's a line of houses and they look off under the thing and there's lights all over. It's really beautiful. It'd be, it'd be kind of nifty to live in a house like that. You're going back up. Oh, I wish I could live like that. That's coveting. Wanting your neighbor's goods. You know what I mean? It's, would you agree with me? That's a little bit difficult to control. But that's what the commandment tells us not to do. Don't covet. And Jesus looked at the ones who said, well, that's not a problem for me. And he looked past them. The one who says, I can't do that. Jesus locked eyes and said, you're the one I've come for. You're the one I've come for. You who feel the weight and you can't comply with what the thing is asking you to do. Um, Paul says, I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Again, to covet is to desire. It's a neutral term. It's not just bad. When Jesus wanted to eat the Last Supper with the disciples, he said, I coveted eating the Last, last Supper with you. It's just a neutral word. But when you want what your neighbor has, then that becomes a negative thing. When it comes to desires, they are harmful. When they're harmful, we naturally resist them, right? We naturally resist them. If you want something you don't want to want, you try to resist wanting it. Try to push it down. And that's easier said than done. Again, we can change our conduct easier than we can change our thoughts and feelings. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you hear anything this morning, this is one of the things. When we try to control our desires in order to please God. I want you to listen to me. When we try to control our desires in order to please God, what Paul says, that's going to backfire. And this is what he says. It's, it's, 
uh, sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire. If you try to stamp down desires because you know that God doesn't like it when you do that, you know what's going to happen? You are going to actually inflame the desires. That's what he's saying. Would you agree with me that that sounds burdensome? You're trying to push things down. The more you try to push them down, it's like keeping a beach ball under the water. You ever try to keep a beach ball under the water? You know, and it's coming up this way and you have to, and it's coming up that way. It's, it's, it's really difficult to keep a beach ball under the water. Well, Paul is saying, when you try to push desires under the water, not only do you get a beach ball, you get beach balls. That Now you've got a bunch of things trying to come up out of the water. You can't control them. That's what he said. And it's tiring. Tell you the truth, this would have been scandalous at the time. What Paul's writing here is scandalous. Here's what a Jew would have learned. You have good desires and bad desires. The Yetzer Hara and Yetzer Hatov. Yetzer Hara, good desires. Yetzer Hatov, bad desires. So here's the deal. The more Bible you get in your mind, this is what they would have learned. The more Bible you get in your mind, the more you're going to be able to control the bad desires and keep the good desires. That's what they would have learned. What Paul is saying, putting some kinds of Bible in your mind is going to not only help you control your desires, it's going to create bad desires. It's going to cause desires to be more out of control. Um, I want you to imagine that disobedience to God is a disease. Just imagine it's a disease, like an infection. And they would have been taught that law, the Bible, knowing huge portions of the Old Testament, that's the prescription. Anybody deal with disobeying? Okay, yes, yes, okay, here's the prescription. Take three, four, five, six, seven Bible passages and call me in the morning. Take more Bible passages. I'm still struggling. Take more Bible passages. Take more. Fill your mind with them. Fill your mind with the Mosaic Law. Fill your mind with the commandments. Fill your mind with all that stuff. And if you do, and if you do it enough, it will help you obey. Now, what Paul is saying, that the medicine they took to cure the disease actually makes it worse. That's what he's saying. Imagine that you took this medicine to treat a condition, and the condition just kept on getting worse and worse and worse. And I come to you and say, well, you know what the problem is? The medicine that you're taking, that doesn't cure a disease like that. That creates it. You'd say, what in the world? That's what Paul is saying about storing some kinds of biblical data. If it's just commandments and, and old covenant, it's it actually makes the problem worse. That's what Paul is saying. That's, this was scandalous at the time. Actually blasphemous. That's why they hated him. But it was and still is true. There's an article from Hebrews chapter 9. Would you get that out and just follow along with me? It's in your worship folder. I'm just going to read it through. Every once in a while, um, if, if I read an article about something that expresses, maybe it's a little bit easier, you can take it around. So let's, I'm just going to read it through. Just follow along with me. God issued a new covenant. What was wrong with the old one? It's from Hebrews. 
the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault, and here's what it says in this version, with the people, and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. New and improved. In the case of the covenant God made with the world, the description fits. A covenant is a treaty or agreement. Vulnerable nations seeking protection entered into covenants with powerful nations that could provide it. Once ratified, covenant documents detail the following. Detailing the following, we were given to each party. The parties entering into the agreement the history of the relationship between the parties, the promises or commitments made by the party offering protection. The, the, the big king was called the suzerain. The weaker king was called the vassal. The suzerain would say, this is what I'm going to do for you. And these were the commitments that the, the big powerful king made. The stipulations or commandments accepted by the party seeking protection. Not only did it detail what the suzerain, the big king was, but you as the one who received that protection, there's things you had to give in order to get the protection. Those were the commandments. So there's the commitments of the powerful king, the commandments of those who were seeking protection, and then there were the consequences, the penalties for not complying with the stipulations and commandments. The old covenant is the covenant established between God and the Israelites from Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments are the stipulations that the Israelites agreed to honor in exchange for God's protection. The blessings are the rewards for compliance and the curses are the punishments for noncompliance. The Israelites promised to obey the covenant demands. God responded, by with covenant blessings when they did so, and with covenant curses when they did not. God kept his part of the agreement. He always fulfills his covenant promises. However, because they did not remain faithful to his covenant, God promises to make a new covenant. This new covenant would not be like the covenant he made with the children of Israel. It would be superior. It would be founded on better promises. God replaced the old covenant in order to offer a covenant with new and improved promises. Here's what the new covenant says. For if there'd been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. In the original language of the Bible, the words the people are not found. It doesn't say the people. That is the person that's translating the Bible and feeling like that clarifies what this verse was intended to say. Actually, the Greek text simply says God found fault with them. That makes sense? So what it literally says is God found fault with them. And then we got to ask, what's the them? Now, the writer of the Bible says it's the people. Um, this is not the point. God is not talking about people in the context. He's talking about promises. The passage says that God found fault with the promises, not with the people. This is why he founded the new covenant on 
better promises. Would you agree that that makes a difference? The reason why God made a new covenant is he found fault with them, not the people with the promises. So what God inaugurates, a new covenant with new and improved promises. And that's what the new covenant is. The new covenant is superior because it contains new promises. I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Does you know what the promise is? God's saying, you know about this obedience that you're worried about? Don't worry about it. Look at me. Stop worrying about it. What he says, I'm going to put my law in your minds and write it on your hearts. You know that responsiveness that you're trying to generate? What God says, let me take care of that. Would you agree with me? If God assumes responsibility for your obedience, he absolves you of the responsibility for it. Can God lay that burden on you and take it upon himself at the same time? He can't. You know what God says? I will put my law on your mind and write it on your hearts. What God says, look at me. Here's the deal. I'm going to ask you, God says, to focus on me. No, don't look at your behavior. Look at me. No, don't look at your feelings and thoughts. Look at me. Now, here's what God says. Let me take care of doing the stuff on the inside. And what I want you to do, I want you to gaze at me and glance at what's underneath there. And that's what the new covenant is. Um, God promises to ensure responsiveness to his will. What difference would it make if you believe that? God says, I will put my law in your mind and write it on your heart. I will create responsiveness in you. What difference does it make when we believe that? Once you think about it, God says, I take responsibility for cultivate responsiveness in you. You know those things you want to do? and feel about me, let me take care of those in you. That's what he's saying. What happens if we believe that? You know what some people think? If I believe that, I just go out and do a bunch of stupid things. I agree. Somebody just said, no. Of course not. Where can you find unconditional love like that? And when you come to experience that, you know what happens to your heart? It doesn't go, <laughs> I'll show him. And what ends up happening? Finally, we spend our life looking for this. To be loved and known. To be known and loved. He doesn't just love the part of you that sits up straight and is spiritual. He loves all of you, even that part that you try to push under the water and keep under the water like beach balls. He sees that part. You know what he says? Why don't you talk to me about the things that you want to see happen in your life? Why don't you trust me with that? Rather than feeling the weight. You know what ends up happening when you hear something like this? 
the weight starts to come off your shoulders. And you become a little less weary and burdened because you'll start to experience, what's the word? Rest. Rest. You know what rest feels like? It's not on my shoulders. He's taken it. That's what the new covenant is, is superior because it contains no curses. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. This is what it really says. You know what I will forgive their wickedness means? I will forgive their wickedness. <laughs> it, it means literally I will be helios to their unrighteousnesses. When you do unrighteous things, what God says helios is, when you think of helios, the Greek word, think of Santa Claus. Santa Claus is helios. Happy, cheerful, benevolent, you know, a big stomach, and ho, 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 you know, that's it. And this word, I'm not saying God is Santa Claus, please. You didn't hear that. Um, but, but that's what Helios is. Gracious, benevolent, favorable, not reactive, not angry. That's what God, that's what God is like. Look what he says. I will be Helios to your unrighteousnesses and remember your sins no more. How about this now? God says, I will put my law in your heart, put my law in your, your heart and write on your minds. And what if you believe that? What if you believed that God was non-reactive to your unrighteousnesses? What would it change in your relationship with him if you believed that? That he didn't go, <laughs> what would you believe if, if there, it really didn't change his face? You say, I'd keep on doing that thing over and over again. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You know when you start to treat God like, like a physician that you trust? I would imagine that when you go to the doctor, you don't say, well, I've got this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem. Thanks so much. <laughs> you, know, you, you, don't, you wouldn't just leave the office. You know what you do? You'd sit there and wait for him to tell you what to do. We imagine with God, he's going to say, learn more Bible. Actually, maybe that's true, but the right kind of things, new covenant things. And as you think about the fact of God's love and that he says the new covenant, I will put my law on your mind and write it on your hearts. I will be helios to your unrighteousness and remember your sins no more. That's what God's going to tell you to focus on. He's going to say, don't gaze at your behavior and don't gaze at your thoughts and feelings. Gaze at me. I will put, I take responsibility to fix the things inside. I will create responsiveness and I'm not going to blow up when you blow it. And you know what will finally, you know what will gradually happen to you? Oh, that feels better. That feels better. Not to carry the burden. The burden is the problem. God promised that wickedness and sins will no longer bring punishment and curses. When God promises to remember their sins no more, he is not talking about divine amnesia. God is assuring us that sin will not prompt him to impose covenant curses. Children of God need not fear God's retribution and judgment. Curses are not included in the new covenant. There are no curses in the new covenant. They don't exist. Just commitments. There's not even any commandments, really, except love the Lord your God and love one another. Um, it can be confusing to read the Bible. Do you agree? God seems to change. 
In the first half of the Bible, he is harsh and punitive. In the second half, Jesus reveals God to be gentle and fatherly. These differences, however, do not represent a change in God. They, rep they reflect a change in the covenant he operates by. It's essential to understand that God has established a new covenant. He no longer commands us to keep his commandments in order to earn his blessings and avoid his curses. God sent his son so that the fear of his judgment could be replaced by the assurance of his love. God does not change in the Bible. His covenant does. Paul knew that this teaching was difficult for Christians, <coughs> believers, to understand. Um, if the fear of judgment is why we're trying to behave, we can't obey God. Fear cannot produce love. Um, well, Paul understands there will come a time... Here's what he says to Timothy. I preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Well, Paul says at some point in the future, people's attention span would shrink. And so they really won't be able to learn the kind of things that you can only learn if you think about them over and over and over. Can I give you something to think about over and over and over and over again? Don't flit from, let's say, focus on them. If you want to focus on anything, here's the thing to focus on, new covenant promises. You focus on new covenant promises, ten commitments. If you haven't been through it for a while, go through it again. As your image of God's faithfulness and his commitments to you increases, you'll find the burden easing somewhat. That's what Jesus promised. But again, he it's not just those who are the burdened, it's the teachable. Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invited the weary and burdened to learn from him. This season, what Jesus came to inaugurate is a new covenant. Not the old one, a new one. Where he takes responsibility, I'll put my law on your heart and put it on your mind. I will be your God and you'll be my people. I'll be Helios to your unrighteousnesses and remember your sins no more. Tune that in. And when somebody tries to reflect God and indicates that, well, God still curses you when you obey and and blesses you, curse, blesses you when you obey, and curses you when you disobey. Remember, you know what to do with that, right? I was told you, off by a covenant. Okay, let's try it. Let's practice it. Let's practice it. Uh, God's going to uh, bless you when you obey. Off by a covenant. He's going to curse you when you disobey. Off by a covenant. Um, yeah. Good. It says to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Hold that in your head. Hold it in your head. Uh -uh. And here's what he promises. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. A disciple is a learner. I would encourage you to become brilliant in the basics spiritually. Brilliant in the basics. And if you're going to be brilliant in the basics spiritually, what do you need to be brilliant in? New covenant promises. 
Become brilliant in them. Not just, hey, I kind of know them. Focus, make room in your mind for them, because as you do, they will transform not just your behavior, but your thoughts and attitudes. And the burden will be lifted somewhat. Let's stand for closing prayer. And if you pray more diligently, this prayer that I'm going to pray, God will bless you. (laughs) Off by a covenant. Good. Okay. Uh, (laughs) God, thank you for promises. And you assume responsibility. It seems like it's too good to be true. But it's what you say. And you don't stutter. You have repealed the old covenant and replaced it with a new. What you feel for us is not a hybrid of the both. The new replaced the old. I pray that we'd understand it and believe it and reflect it in Jesus' name. Amen.